Hello everyone, Brian here. Thanks for coming and joining us on our Franchise Radio Show. Great to have you here. And today I'm delighted to be able to share with you our title, Franchising as an Asset Class. Um, and I'm joined by David Weaver. Um, David has got a very diverse and entrepreneurial background. He, he draws on as a franchise consultant in the US. He's honed his business skills in a number of ways and he's looking forward to sharing his knowledge and experience with us today. Um, he embodies, which he'll describe later in more detail, I think, the Midwestern values of honesty and integrity in all aspects of life. Um, born and raised in Indiana, he got his first taste of business ownership by watching both of his parents operate and build successful businesses, which is something I think is a great apprenticeship, if you like, if business is your direction. Uh, his career took him down an interesting path that allowed him to develop sort of unique skills and expertise. He, Spent time working in areas of sales, project management, operations, and finance. So very broad church of knowledge. One of his most valuable career stops was over six years and included underwriting franchise systems um, across the country in the US um, in order to establish the right fit between franchisors, franchisees, and a finance company. Um, so certainly good in-depth experience he he firmly believes that wealth creation through business ownership um, um, and has been or owned a partner in seven different businesses over the years. In addition to managing his current franchise consulting practice, David and his wife invest in franchises and real estate assets. Um, it's very real um, first-hand experience he has and he offers insight and true understanding. He enjoys the mountains of Colorado, who wouldn't, with his family skiing, hiking, fishing, biking, dirt, biking, and hunting. So he's a busy man in his spare time. David, welcome to you. Lovely to have you here today. Thanks for having me. Um, right, I think I'll go ahead and drill you with a few questions. You've got a fascinating background, rather enviable. Um, I, I, I gather, as we just said, you're from Indiana, the Midwest. Uh, what are some of the things that you learned about growing up in the Midwest that, that helps you today in business? So growing up in Indiana is um, something that I look back fondly on. Um, as a kid, I couldn't wait to get out of there. Um, the Midwest is sort of referred to as the flyover states if you're a politician in, in the U.S., right? The, the each, each coast is important, but the middle part of the country is less important. Um, I think those of us that grew up in the middle of the country are proud of it. Um, what growing up in the Midwest um, translates to business success, I think, is work ethic and grit. Um, I would say uh, one of the things that I noticed most dramatically once leaving the Midwest, moving to Colorado for the first time, um, we see lots of people from all over the country, uh, a lot of Californians moving to Colorado, um, is what people other people consider hard work and and um you know work ethics so um i would say that's the number one thing that that i take out of growing up in indiana is you learn to work hard and keep your mouth shut and get the job done until it's done <laughs> i like that <laughs> so um that, that obviously gives you good foundations for business and 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 so forth so could you expand a bit more on your your background and experience that makes you an expert in franchising, David? Uh, I would say I'd, I'll, I'll speak to two 
two stops in my career path that really helped set a foundation for um, how I view franchising. The first was working for my dad in the in the manufacturing facility. Uh, we we owned a foundry. Um, I was living in Colorado. He purchased this foundry late in his career. Uh, this was the second foundry that that he had owned. Um, and he needed some help. So I leave Denver. I go back to Detroit uh, to help my dad with this business. And ultimately, over the, the I was there for four years. So it took me about two, year and a half to two years to implement ISO 9000 quality control process. Um, very expensive to implement. It took a lot of time. And, and um, that was, it was an arduous um, um, implementation. What I learned from that experience was really eye-opening. Running a business against a system that's in place makes it much, much easier to run. Um, the other thing that happened is we had about 25 to 30 employees without a quality control process. Um, and we were producing maybe $150,000 to $200,000 a month in revenue. Um, once I put the process in place and we were following a system, I could produce almost double that in revenue per month with 11 people. So I'm just here to say managing a business with 10 or 11 people is way more fun than running a business with 30 people. Um, <laughs> it's just easier to manage and easier to, to uh, get your head around. So that was a big one, understanding what it really looks like to run a business, not without a system, uh, with kind of an autocratic leadership kind of style versus um, running the business to the system. Uh, and then the second thing was I had a stop where I was working for a finance company um, and we were we were setting up finance programs in a non-SBA uh, government-backed guaranteed way, right? So um, it was our job to underwrite the franchisor and the franchise system as well as each individual credit. So I learned a whole bunch about how banks look at small business ownership and and what their underwriting criteria is for a loan, which is super helpful for in today. But the other thing that I learned is why do some franchise brands have raving fans as franchise owners and other franchise brands have lawsuits coming out their ears, right? Mm -hmm. So what are the things that you look for at the franchisor level from a cultural standpoint and a system standpoint that make that brand a winner or have uh, predictions for uh, future success. Um, lots of nuances over the over those years, and and lots of learning there. So um, I would say those two things: doing it myself, and then doing a lot of underwriting of lots of different systems. And and frankly, over the last decade, I've been a, a franchise consultant for more than a decade. And we get to see brands all year long. I mean, we're, I currently have relationships with over 200 brands and constantly new brands coming into our inventory. So um, having a purview for what's coming, what works, what doesn't work, why did this one take off and super successful and this one didn't take off? Um, there's lots of different perspective that, that I get to see, which is why I love being a consultant. I'll do this until I'm too old to pick up the phone. <laughs> I love that expression. Yeah, look, that, that's 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 interesting, and certainly very relevant for a large part of our of our listener base who are franchisors or anticipating being franchisors, and it gives confidence to prospective franchisees. And I suppose for the franchisors listening, those points that David made just now are just absolutely gold. I mean, they're so invaluable 
Um, I can I can I can say that with some experience and qualification because part of what we do at Franchise Simply is helping people develop systems with their own cloud-based processes. And we see, rather as Dave illustrated, it's quite amazing when you systemize your business properly in the Michael G. Gerber sort of process, you know, um, it's amazing what it does. In his case, quite dramatic reduction in staff numbers. I can imagine that would have been a blessing, um, but also that increase in turnover and profitability. So the business is transformed, and yet people are reluctant to actually commit themselves to prepare proper systems. <laughs> it, it never ceases to, manage, to, to, to amaze me, but there's a bit of work to be done, but it's, it's invaluable. So thank you. And that perspective as well, investigating franchise groups and how they operate, I think that's tremendous knowledge. So um, tell me, you, know, you would meet lots of people who dream about business ownership, I'm sure. We, we all do, whether it's at the 19th hole at the golf club or, or over a barbecue with friends, whatever it might be. But the vast majority will never become business owners. Um, what, what, why do you believe that is? That's a really good question, Brian. I would say there's there's a whole bunch of reasons, but I think if you get if it comes down to if you want me to kind of narrow it down to one thing, people are either running from something or running towards something, right? So some people are running from their corporate job and corporate politics and in corporate America or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so the pain of the, what they're moving away from is not as great as what they want, right? So the, the what they want and what they're going towards, the other people are running towards the dream of business ownership um, and or a life that they've always wanted to create or something like that. So in my opinion, franchising is just a vehicle that allows, uh, that, that takes somebody where they want in their life. Um, and so that's one of the things that I like to talk to candidates about is where are you going and, and what is the vehicle going to look like, right? I mean, a, a Ford 150 can take you just as far as, you know, a BMW M5, but you're going to get there differently, right? Depending on, on what you're trying to do. And, and the vehicle is for different purposes. So, um, so some people don't get into business ownership largely because they're, they're unclear as to where they want to go and why. Um, I often tell people, I can give you the how to find the right franchise to invest in, but I can't create the why to. If you don't have a strong enough why to, then we're kind of dead in the water. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about this is so many people don't follow their dream of business ownership because they didn't bring their spouse along for the ride. Hmm. They think they're going to do it on their own. They're, you know, my wife's not going to be involved in the process or my husband doesn't need to be uh, part of the conversation. And the reality is I take people through an educational journey for what business ownership is going to look like. And if you don't bring that other person along with you, um, you're you're really doing them a disservice. So I would say those would be the reasons why people don't. Yeah, that last them. point is a huge one. Um, particularly, you know, particularly when you look, at, you look at males, particularly, you know, we're improving. <laughs> but the reality is we still have that habit of, tending to make the decisions ourselves and uh, and not realizing. I've, I've made a few mistakes in business in my life. I've had some great successes, but there are two or three times when I should have brought my wife into the picture in my earlier days in business 
and she would have saved me a lot of time, money and heartache. There's no doubt about it. So, yeah, but having them on board so they understand just what's involved because it is a commitment and uh, well, giving people clarity on that is terrific. So um, the expression that, that I like of yours um, uh, that I've, I've seen you talking about is franchising as an, a- as an asset class. Um, could, could you expand on your interpretation of, of that and, and how did you come up with that idea or that expression, David? So franchising as an asset class was something that I just sort of coined in putting together a presentation for a bunch of uh, entrepreneurs. Um, I was involved with EO. EO is the Entrepreneurs Organization. It's a wonderful organization, global organization. Um, And it really came out of a conversation I had with my dad when I was in high school, I think. Uh, His statement was, um, wealth is created in this country by the three-legged stool. And the three-legged stool is the paper asset class, real estate asset class, and the business asset class. So business owners make money in their business and they invest in real estate and stocks and bonds. And the reason that we were talking about that is I was getting interested at the time, I was probably 16 or so, uh, investing in stocks and bonds. And so um, I I came up with this franchising as an asset class um, in thinking that I think at least in the U.S., but probably globally, we've we've been taught that diversification is important and diversification looks like stocks, bonds and mutual funds, um, when in reality, diversification is paper assets, real estate assets and business assets. And so I started thinking about time, money and energy as it relates to the different business classes, Um, paper assets are basically an appreciation business model. You wanna buy low and sell high. Um, Takes very little time if you have a money manager like most people do. You touch base with them once or twice a year and and you've got your money invested in the market. Um, The real estate asset class is much more time involvement, right? You're either gonna fix and flip properties or you're gonna buy them and rent them out, et cetera. Um, I look at real estate as a very, uh, important asset class, but more like a savings account than than a cash machine, right? So I'm gonna if I'm buying a rental, a long term rental, I'm going. I'm hoping that my rent exceeds my my mortgage by a couple hundred bucks a month. So I'm not looking in that particular investment for cash flow, but I'm looking for leverage that I get from the mortgage. I'm I'm looking for write offs and as it relates to. Um, you know, interest expense and et cetera, buying tools and fun stuff that you can call a business expense. Um, Real estate's a fun asset class to have money in. And it's also a great investment in terms of your renter is paying for the mortgage and creating this asset or equity value for yourself. So great asset class to be part of. And then if you jump over the franchising as an asset class into business ownership, the entrepreneurial, the, the, the business owner, um, that takes a lot of your personal time and a lot of entrepreneurs are building that business around themselves and their particular expertise, et cetera. Um, ton of time investment. You do get the leverage component from, from bank loans. You get great tax benefits from owning a business. But the biggest thing you get with a business is significant cash flow if you're successful, right? That's the reason we want to own a business. So if you look at it from a a money in, time investment in, um, I think franchising can slip right between 
real estate asset class and business ownership asset class, because the system's already built for you, you're saving that time investment. Um, and what I love about franchising is because it's a franchise, it's intentionally not about David Weaver or Brian, right? It's not about you as the entrepreneur. You're executing against the business itself, the business model, the business systems, uh, which also makes it easier to exit in a sale. It makes it easier to operate uh, while you own it. So you get to enjoy the benefits of business ownership uh, through franchise ownership in terms of the leverage and the tax benefits and the cash flow um, without the time commitment and the, the, the creation of those systems that I learned running the foundry, running the foundry back in earlier in my career. That's an interesting perspective. You know, I've been in franchising for 40 years. I've not heard anybody express that. I've used, I use reference myself to the three-legged stall, but in any sort of situation, it's a very useful analogy. But in the way you've described that there, um, particularly the relationship between being a business owner and being a franchise owner from the point of view if you've got that asset that's not tied to your name. So it makes it far more easily to dispose of. I think that's a point a lot of people don't appreciate. So um, now thank you thank you for raising that one. So um, I suppose, you know, you, you obviously talk with a lot of people. You've got a large portfolio. So do, do you ever get people saying to you, um, you know, can you help me? Um, how do I go about franchising a business I've got at the moment? Um, what, what's your advice or point on that one, David? <laughs> that is a question I get quite frequently. Um, being, you know, just having the the role of franchise consultant, um, the first thing I do is ask them why. Why do you want to franchise your business? What is the purpose behind franchising? Um, this speaks to the culture and and sort of what I learned when I was working for the finance company. Um, some people franchise for the what I consider the right reasons, and some people franchise for different reasons. So if if the reason that you're franchising is because you want to expand, but you want to use other people's capital, I would consider that the wrong reason. Um, when you franchise a business, that is one of the reasons that you do it, right? So, so that does come along with it. But if you are looking for a global brand, creating a global brand or helping create other business owners, um, and and sharing what you've learned because your business model is so easy to operate or profitable or something, right? Whatever the reason is that you want to franchise it, those would be better reasons to franchise than just expansion for the sake of expansion, because frankly, that's what banks are there for, right? And if your business is really as good as you think it is, if you're going to franchise it, then a bank would be very attractive to help you expand into multiple locations and, and just have a multi-location corporation. Um, so the first question I ask is why. The second thing that I want to get my head around is, um, are they aware of the fact that they are creating a separate, a second business next to the operating business that, they're, that they want to franchise? So franchising a business model is a completely separate business 
all into itself, but it doesn't look or feel that way to somebody who hasn't done it before. And so are you ready to build a completely second business right next to the one that you're operating? And do you understand what that looks like? And then the third thing that I want to find out is, do you, do you recognize and understand the kind of capital that it's going to take and the time that it takes to get a franchise or to the point where it's significant or there's a big exit for private equity or whatever, right? And of course, that's changing quite a bit recently over the last, say, five years that private equity is coming in earlier in the stages um, than we've ever seen before. Um, but, you know, for many years, it would take a solid 10 years for a franchise brand to get from a handful of locations to say a hundred open locations, which puts them in the top percentile of, of franchise brands franchising. So, um, you know, the speed at which you can get to a hundred is sort of, um, been changing a little bit, but that's kind of the, that, that to me sounds like sustainability at the franchise or level. Um, and some people are really surprised at how long that really takes. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It's, it doesn't happen. It's not opening the door overnight, that's for sure. Um, oh, my goodness. Of course, I mean, I, I love looking at what's happening in the States because here in Australia, we follow some years behind from the point of view of the pattern. Um, so the consolidation you've seen there of groups merging and joining, working together, that type of thing, and the number of multi-unit franchisees significant sized um has been enormous in the last decade in the us it's it's in its early days here so it's very interesting to hear some of your your observations there which i think are really helpful to people um uh, thanks for that so i suppose you another another question i had and it's maybe you covered it just now really but what were what some some of the things to to look out for if you are looking to franchise your business would you expand or you think you've you've exhausted that little uh library of knowledge there um if you're a friend if you are a business owner that is thinking about franchising one of the things that i would have you think about or i would engage in that conversation is what are you looking for from the franchise owner or the franchisee right so um one question i get a lot from franchisors is um how do you find good franchise owners, right? Like, like where, do, where do you find your people? And, you know, your, your candidates are much higher quality than we see with other, other folks. And, and I would say, you know, where do you find them is probably not the, not the right question. The right question is, what are you doing to prepare them to become franchise owners, you know, on the front end? Or what are the characteristics that you're looking for from, the candidates that you're talking to, right? Um, you know, I think success in, in business is um, leaves clues or you can see in past, uh, past successes, you can see future success. Um, and so I look for that in candidates, right? Have you had success building teams before? Are you good at delegation? A lot of people can make a lot of money and be ready to invest in a business or want to get away from corporate America. But if they're not good at leading teams or delegating, they're going to be they're going to have a hard time running a business semi absentee, which is a, you know, a pretty um, standard statement in franchising today. Well, it's a manager run business. You can keep your day job. Well, 
all of that's fine and good. But if you're not very good at delegating and getting out of the way and letting that manager run the business, the manager's going to be frustrated. You're going to be frustrated. It's not going to be a fun business to own. So um, identifying what the what is the the candidate brings to the table and marrying that to what the franchisor brings to the table is is um a key to a key to finding a franchise that's a good fit for the candidate right or so and and really having a franchisor that can demonstrate what they're bringing to the table but also having a candidate that can demonstrate what they can bring to the table so it's a bit of an art and science blend, I would say, um, but definitely finding and uncovering what that candidate has done in their past that are going to lead clues to why they might be successful in any particular business, right? Whether it's a painting franchise or siding and gutters, which are what I consider sort of non-sexy tried and true businesses, or, you know, the, the latest, hottest health and wellness trend with food or fitness or, you know, um, a lot of health and wellness right now, beauty concepts that are really hot today. Mm. Yeah, I'm certainly experiencing that here as well. So, yeah, what, you, <coughs> excuse me, what you're saying is really who is your avatar, who's your ideal franchisee? But, yeah, the biggest challenge with franchisors or, or people in business is letting go. Um, it's, it's, the, it's the burden of business owners is the reluctance to trust other people and, as you say, to, to delegate and lead teams. People assume, I think, that because they run a business, they're automatically leaders, um, which is far short of reality. So um, it's something you need to invest in is spending time, I think, if you're serious about franchising. In fact, about business of any kind, in fact, life. life. <laughs> Getting some skills in leadership is, uh, is just so helpful. So what are the... We've seen a turmoil across the world, obviously, the last two or three years, life's changed. And in so many ways, we could talk about that for an hour and a half without any problems at all, the impact of all the tech that's exploded, et cetera. But what what are some of the trends that you're seeing now that, you know, we are in the West coming out of the the whole pandemic sort of scenario? Oh, my goodness. I would say... um... I've seen a lot of change in a short period of time. And, and I would say um, staying out of politics, when the government gets involved in private sector, you see a lot of change kind of unnecessarily. But this is, to answer your question, this is what I would say, if you go from 2018 to today, right? So we got a good four year window there. We've seen a massive shift and then a shift again. And so, um, but 2018 timeframe, it, uh, the economy was good. Everybody wanted uh, multi, they wanted five stores or 10 stores of the next hottest thing, right? And that looked like um, cool, fun, trendy fitness brands that looked like, um, you know, health and wellness, smoothies, whatever, which is all health and wellness, Um and multi-location, lots and lots of stores build an empire. Then we had the pandemic hit and all of the closures that, and and really a lot of news chatter about specifically fitness and restaurants, right? So um, nobody wanted that anymore and nobody was going anywhere. So they just decided to spend a bunch, bunch of money on their house 
Um, and we saw a lot of the franchise brands in the home improvement sectors or handyman's, all, all of that kind of stuff. So painting and plumbing and electrical and flooring and I mean, all the home improvement sectors absolutely blew up. Why? Because they weren't held back by any pandemic government and uh, rules. And also the consumer was not spending money on vacations and restaurants and, and going places. They were remodeling their kitchen. So um, huge success in that service sector businesses. And really that's a massive shift from um, focus on a brick and mortar business. Operationally running a brick and mortar business is significantly different than running a service-based business. And so um, that to me was a really big shift. And, and today going forward into 2023, um, we see the consumer shifting again, um, you might say back to health and wellness, but it's a bit different. So um, people's interest is back to the brick and mortar, uh, multi-location, manager run, or or the appetite is less. Like I don't want 10, but I might start with two. Um, but the, the consumer is very focused on um, taking control of their health and wellness, right? Which is a little bit different than looking hot and sexy in a fitness concept. They're, they're interested in things like float tanks or um, uh, infrared saunas or um, different kinds of lasering and Botox and stuff like that to look pretty because of the Zoom calls that we're on and the, the, you know, the selfies and things like that. Um, the med spa business is remarkably hot in the U.S., and what's interesting is I'm, I'm a guy that's in my 50s, right? And so um, my wife and all of her friends are, are relatively similar ages. And so you would think that the med spa is something that, that that demographic would go after. What we're finding is the 35-year-old, 30 to 35-year-old is spending an incredible amount of money on what their face looks like, which blows me away, but it has a lot to do with the the iPhone cameras and the social media posting, uh, which I guess makes sense. Um, but that segment, because the demographic is so young and they are choosing to spend their money that way already, you have a 20-year time horizon for that consumer to consistently can spend money in that way. So there's a lot of cool businesses to get into when you think about it from how the consumer is consuming and why they might continue to consume. Um, there's some pretty cool trends going on in health and wellness that are different than we saw back in 2018. Yeah, that's something that hadn't occurred to me, not that I'm that close to it, although I've got clients and people I know in that space. So that's interesting. So the lifetime expectancy of that person as a customer has increased dramatically because they are 10, 15 years younger. That's uh that's, a, that's an incredible factor that the value of that customer now compared with your 2018 customer in that same business is dramatically changed. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's a yep. The pet industry also, we, we saw in the U.S. alone, we saw two factors that drove that real estate boom, uh, but also the pet industry is, is a segment that is changing significantly. Why? Because the millennial de generation for the first time moved from urban to suburban. So that's what drove the housing boom uh, to the extent, in addition to the reinvestment 
uh, in regular regular home ownership. But they also got their first dog. We saw a million five Americans get their the very first dog. We know statistically that if you have one dog, you're probably going to end up with three to five dogs. So <laughs> dog lifespan, again, now you've got 15 to 20 years of dog ownership based on your first dog. So in 2020, 2021, a million five got their first dog. We, they also moved to suburbia for the first time. And so the, the amount of money and focus and attention on pet ownership is, uh, is something we've never seen before. And, and the, uh, the data behind that is really phenomenal. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, we don't have your statistics. I can't quote your numbers, but certainly just from an anecdotal point of view, just looking as I go for a walk in the mornings or a jog, the number of people, as you say, with dogs now. Uh, and here it's all it's all poodles and variations of various oodles, labradoodles and everything else. It's got to be curly, fuzzy and pretty. And, uh, but, yeah, that's that's another interesting fact. That's 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 invaluable insight there, David. I really appreciate that. <clears throat> um, I'm talking to David Weaver. Um, Franchising as Asset Class is the title of our conversation. And thanks for joining us. I hope you're enjoying it and will enjoy what we have remaining to run through. So, well, David, what are some of the things you look for in a franchise brand that makes you want to, you know, get behind it or support it, get involved in the growth of the brand? The first thing I'm going to look at because of my, my uh, financial background and the financial underwriting is does the business model actually work? Um, and, and because I've got extensive experience analyzing different businesses for two decades now, really, um, I can see, I can see that pretty quickly. Um, so does the business model make sense? Can I determine that it's going to make money or at least has a potential? Uh, the third thing is leadership team at the franchisor level. So, um, has the franchisor team, the lead team, the CEO, CFO, CMO, um, do they know what they're doing? Do they have a track record of success? Many franchises today are the second or third or fourth franchise for some of these leadership teams, and they keep their team intact, right? So um, that to me is very attractive because we can have an emerging brand in terms of territory and availability in, in all the best markets, which is always a big indicator of, um, you know, a brand that's going to run, but, but also the leadership team that has maybe 10, 20 years of seasoned leadership building and exiting multiple brands. Um, there's a lot of knowledge and expertise that comes along with that um, versus say, you know, the franchisor that starts with five locations and then five years later, they have 20 locations and five years after that, they have 35 locations. Um, there, Those are some other indicators of brands that I might not gravitate towards or, or want to show my, my um, candidates to, um, largely because a lot of people have in mind, they want to be part of the national brand, right? The one of the things that gravitates that they gravitate towards in franchising is brand recognition. Um, not a very strong criteria set for my initial investment criteria, but, but that's what a lot of people have in their mind, right? So they have to see a path that this particular brand, which might be emerging when they see it, what's it gonna look like in five years? 
And so we need a leadership team that knows how to build and scale. And that means having a really solid foundation of system that the franchisee can step into and execute against. Otherwise, it, not, it doesn't come together. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense too. So um, I, I suppose going to perhaps what you focused a lot of your time on in your profession is um, uh, as a franchisor, what, what advice would you give to uh, to me or, or our listeners from the point of view of actually finding the right sort of franchise owners? You've described a little bit about some of their their whys, what drives them, et cetera, et cetera. But could you expand a little bit on that? Um, how, how do you find, well, you want to find, you want to work with people as a consultant or as a franchisor, right? You want to be talking with people, prospective franchisees that have a track record of success, just like you want to focus on franchisors with a track record of success. So when I'm talking to a prospective candidate, I want to get to understand what what has driven their success and what's behind that, right? So what's behind their uh, success and also understanding what their why is so we can find the direction that they want to go and 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 help match the vehicle that gets them gets them there um, financially, time, flexibility in their schedule, whatever is important to them um, and then and then match that up. So um, Finding high quality candidates, you know, there's there's an old adage that uh, birds of a feather flock together. Um, if you know a lot of entrepreneurs that are successful, if you know a lot of high high caliber um, senior level executives that are very successful in the corporate world, um, those those success traits leave clues, and so you gravitate towards those folks. Yeah. <laughs> Makes a lot of sense. You get a lot of people looking to move into franchising. You're really just looking for a job. Um, a lot of people think that which, way. I'm sure you see that just as much as uh, as we do. And and people who've got a business are looking to grow it, but really don't have the capability. So from a point of view of people looking for a job, when you talk to a candidate like that, what's, what's, what goes through your mind, David? Um, I Again, I'm going to dig for past success and is a clue to future success. If somebody's looking at franchising for a job, I think they're, I think they're missing the bigger picture. Um, I like to work with investors that want to invest in a business and own a business, which is a completely different, it's, it's very similar to some people. To my, from my perspective, it's very different. It's a paradigm shift. It's a shift in attitude or focus if I'm buying a job, I'm going to be stuck in the next job that I'm trying to move away from by owning a franchise, right? And therefore, I'm going to be stuck in the franchise and the franchisor is my boss and the bank owns me. And these are all mindsets. These are these are not reality. It's the reality that we create for ourselves. And so I work with, with people um, almost as much in the fundamentals of the business as changing your paradigm in the way you view the world. Because if you can view the world through the eyes of an entrepreneur, it is so awesome, right? <laughs> but if you, if you view your, if you continue to view the world through the eyes of an employee, then then you haven't really, like, why take the risk? You might as well just get another job with another employer. So um, I don't know if that answers your question. I like to work with people that see themselves as investors 
in the business that they want to own. Um, and, and therefore, we talk about things like your role as the owner. What are you going to be doing as the owner? And the scalability of the business model. How are you going to scale this? And once you get the thing making money, what else are you going to do, right? So what, what is three years, five years, seven years, 10 years down the road? What's your predetermined exit plan look like? Yeah. If you can think like that, you're thinking like a business owner and an investor. You're not thinking like you're going to buy a job. Right now, thank you for thank you for that. So, so I suppose in in sort of closing, just to summarise a few points here, what what are the common traits you see in the the top performing franchise owners across a range of brands? You know, there's those key there's that, those key skills or characteristics that you've so you've shared some of that with us. But how would you how would you sort of wrap that up? Um. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I'm being a bit redundant here. Um, I would say the first thing is you're looking for grit and work ethic, right? I mean, nobody builds a business quickly um, if they don't put their head down and get to work. Um, so, and, and frankly, you know, senior level success track record, senior level executive, but a lot of people that, that get to the point where they want to buy a franchise, a lot of people think that Franchise owners look like they're 25 to 30. They really don't. The, the average age in the U.S. anyway is like 48 to 57 or something like that, right? So um, they, they've had success in corporate America, um, and now they're ready to invest that success into themselves. That's what I, that's what I typically see uh, with candidates I'm working, for, working with. Um, the point is, many people in that demographic aren't ready to dig in and do the work to work as hard as they need to, to scale as fast as they need to, to be that franchise owner that owns five locations of this and six locations of that, or, you know, um, the, the sort of um, that movie, the blind side, the guy that owns all those Taco Bells. Um, that's what everybody envisions when they envision success in franchising. Um, so work ethic, delegation, team building, um, a, a certain level of servant leadership is, is a very common trait. So they, they demonstrate in their past life um, servant leadership in different ways. And sometimes that means um, you know, being a coach, uh, a lifelong coach of their of kids' soccer, or that looks like you know investing a lot of time into charities or whatever. So, what you know, there's just success leaves clues, and so you you just sort of see common traits like like that. Um, but a a track record of building teams is is the key and building teams that's not about you as the owner i think is those would be the things that that i would say are very consistent throughout um the multi-business owners that i know that are successful in everything they touch david been a pleasure talking to you thanks for sharing so much candid information i think it's news from the inside <laughs> so um i think you're one of the more fortunate people I, i've met because you've obviously got a you've got a career a, a business there that you love i can hear your passion and that, that's 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 wonderful that's that's what makes life isn't it um, oh my goodness yes and thank you for thank you for saying that i i absolutely love it I'm super passionate about creating business owners because we get to make such a big impact on our community, right? As a business owner. So 
um, I'm, I'm very excited about it and I'm happy to share what I know. Lovely. Look, I, I, I don't have any other questions for you. Is there anything you'd like to add that you feel um, just, to, 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 just to sort of wrap up the conversation? You think we've pretty well covered everything? <laughs> I think we covered a bunch. I appreciate you having me on the show. I would say to answer your question, the the you know if, if you're interested in the things that I talked about, if you want me to expand on the franchising as an asset class, um, D Weaver at franchise.com is probably the easiest way to get in touch with me directly. Um, if you want more information about my consulting practice or my background, uh, social media sites, et cetera, www.franchiseyourfreedom.com is my website um, and access to all my different uh, Franchise Your Freedom social pages, et cetera. So uh, best way to get a hold of me is dweaver at franchise.com. Thanks for having me on the show, Brian. That's great. Uh, thank you so much. Look, I hope our conversation has made a difference to people who are listening. Um, it's given me a spark for the day and for the, for the I think, for the rest of the year. You know, it's, it's nice to round those things up. So thanks very much. Thanks for everyone for listening. I hope you've enjoyed it and look forward to uh, contacting you again when we have our next Franchise Radio Show. <laughs>